Hey, you're listening to the Sub Club Podcast, a show dedicated to the best practices for building and growing subscription app businesses. We'll share insider secrets from the top subscription apps on the app stores. Let's get into the show. All right. Welcome to the Sub Club Podcast. I'm David Barnard, and my co-host is Jacob Eiding. Hi. <laughs> Today, our guest is Eric Seifert. Um, Eric has had quite a career in mobile, uh, from VP of User Acquisition at Rovio to his recent consulting projects with subscription app companies. Eric has a depth and breadth of experience on mobile and games that few can match. He's also a prolific writer. He wrote a book on freemium economics and has written hundreds of insightful articles on his site, Mobile Dev Memo. Welcome, Eric. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. So typically on a, on a podcast like this, we would go right into like, tell us more about your career and all that kind of stuff. But I, I just wanted to skip that. They can read your LinkedIn or whatever. But there were two <laughs> things that I thought were, <laughs> were, were just especially interesting about your uh, background and would love to just dive into those instead of kind of giving a, a deeper overview. So you, at your time at Rovio, got to experience user acquisition at a scale that like few people in the industry ever get to experience. I mean, you know, you must have had uh, quite a budget you were managing and, and millions and millions of acquisitions. So I'd love to hear just like any war stories or what it's like to, to manage UA at that scale. And just tell us a little bit more about, about your experience with Rovio. Yeah, sure. So um, the budget that we had at Rovio actually wasn't all that uh, large. I mean, at the time, so when I joined, uh, the company had never really done UA kind of consistently before. They, they had a UA team, but um, they were sort of just transitioning into uh, like a freemium mindset. Um, and they were kind of re-engineering the whole organization around, around that, around building freemium products and games as a service. So they had done, while well, they had done UA before, it was usually like at launch, right? So they would have a UA kind of budget for the launch and then they would have beats maybe if they did, you know, updates like big game updates that they wanted to promote. But it wasn't, there wasn't this kind of infrastructure uh, for doing sort of like scaled continuous UA. And so I came in and, and built that out. But I think what was interesting about working at Rovio was, was seeing A, the, the power of a brand, right? The power mm -hmm. of, of kind of a, of a consumer brand. Um, because, you know, while the, the, the amount of money we spent wasn't, uh, it, it, it wasn't, uh, you know, kind of noteworthy, the, just the, 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 the mileage that we got with that budget what was, right? Like, it, it lowers your, it lowers your, your CAC, right? When you're, you have a really strong brand like that. Yeah. Like the, the brand just drove so much, uh, so much sort of efficiency in the kind of ad conversion funnel. Right. So like, just higher percentage of click-through rate, you know, higher percentage of install rates. People knew what they were getting. Now, now, what we didn't, I think, do well while I was there, and which isn't, uh, which isn't to say that like I would approach it in the same way now because you know the industry changed a lot and evolved a lot since then. So this was like five years ago. But what we didn't do very well then <laughs> while I was there was the kind of test for incrementality, right? So I mean, we were just you know showing ads to people and kind of counting every single kind of you know click and install. Uh, and, and dollar, you know, spent subsequent to that install, you know, from that user as like just totally incremental revenue. We weren't doing a whole lot of testing around, well, what would happen if we just didn't advertise to that person, right? Like if, if they hadn't seen this ad, mm. um, would they have installed the game anyway? Now, I don't think so because I mean, I just, 
part of that part part of where incrementality becomes interesting is really at the level of spend. You know, what which of the ads that you're showing to somebody drove drove the 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 revenue? Not the, the question, like the sort of the sort of negative scenario in an incrementality test for most advertisers isn't well. If I hadn't shown this ad, would this user just sort of apropos of nothing have installed the app? Probably not, right? I mean, without any sort of inducement, they probably wouldn't have done anything. Now the question for the, the real the real sort of important question, a really interesting question to ask in mentality is like, did this ad inspire them to install the app versus the three other that three others that they saw this saw this day? So when you have a very low level of spend, incrementality isn't that important. Um, and I think for us, I don't think it would have changed much about how we were doing things back then. But um, you know, when you're spending a lot of money and you're showing it a person like five ads in a day, incrementality is really is kind of like uh, is it's sort of critical in figuring out like, okay, well, how much value did this particular ad contribute versus just the other four or five or whatever, you know, and if I hadn't shown them that one, but they had seen, you know, the one on Facebook and the one on Twitter and the one on TV, would they still have installed? That's, that's the more interesting question because when those budgets get really large, you just get sort of signal coming from all these different kind of mediums and, and, and figuring out which of those actually drives kind of that the, um, which of those actually drives value uh, and contribute to value is, is, is more important. But, but anyway, just, just to, we we didn't really think about that that much um, back then, but yeah, I mean, just seeing that the efficiency of the ad funnel was really uh, eye opening, right? Because I had come, I mean, I'd come from another company that did casual games, but like, you know, the 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 funnel metrics were nowhere near what we saw at Rovio. When we launched Shakerverse two, actually, some of the networks thought um, they had like they had a like an internal uh, you know, <laughs> problem because the click through rates were so high, because they were seeing something like twenty percent, thirty percent click through rate, right? And they were wow. saying, like, well, we must there must be some issue. It must be like a an analytics issue, but it wasn't. It's just everybody clicked on the ad. I mean, it's differentiation, right? Like if you have differentiation and brand is a great way to differentiate. I mean, really like Angry Birds, fun game, but it's it's a block knocking down game. It's not it's not anything like, there's a lot of those, but they had this brand and, and I mean, this would have been, 2015 would have been kind of post that they had moved out of just mobile apps, right? At that stage, they I think they had like their store and the movie was in the works if it wasn't out already. And they had already been building this like media property around the birds. Right. Um, so yeah. I, 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 to your question about incrementality, how does like, how do you practically, I mean, I guess it's easy enough to do like a, a, a holdback test where you say like, Oh, show me the revenue for a, a cohort that I'm going to leave out of this like targeting campaign or something like this to see how much revenue they generate and then, and then look at the difference. But how, how would you, go about measuring, yeah, some of that more difficult, less like more nuanced incrementality stuff. It just seems like really difficult to get uh, quantitative uh, information on. Uh, it is, it is. But I mean, I think everybody is going to kind of, everyone's going to be sort of taking a masterclass in incrementality going forward, just with the idea-based <laughs> stuff. I mean, that's, that's, that's ultimately where we head, right? I think ultimately where we head is like, well, if you say we can no longer sort of attribute the level of advice, then everything becomes an exercise in incrementality, right? Like that's that's measurement. Um, so I think um, you know we're, we're all we're all going to be a lot more knowledgeable about it. But but sort of at the conceptual level, like incrementality is just based on um, like observing variations in ad spend and whatever your outcome metric is, right? So like if you think about you know hey we want to index all of our we want to we want to um, we want to kind of measure uh, ad spend on the performance of revenue. Well, then like the, the way you do that is you just look at, you know, sort of variations in that ad spend and variations in revenue and look for the sort of like uh, correlatory effects, right? So if I think about a lot of people, you know, one way they're doing that is to like engineer a holdout, right? So I'm just going to spend mm -hmm. it. 
Um, the only problem with that is like you're creating kind of this, um, you're creating this kind of environment that won't exist, right? When, when, when you're applying the learnings from that, right? Like, so like if I'm, you know, say I want to, I want to know what the in incremental impact of Facebook spend is, so I'm just going to cut Facebook spend off and see what happens. Well, okay. You're learning what happens when Facebook is cut off, right? Like that's how these other, uh, right. channels, uh, that's how these other channels sort of behave when Facebook is cut off. It's not necessarily telling you what Facebook contributes. Right. Well, cause they're not the errors. You're taking the partial derivative with each of these, but they're not independent variables, right? So each one of these right. networks, each one of these spend channels is interdependent. So you can't look at the, the individual effect. I mean, I think that's always been, you know, from a data science, I mean, that's the hard part of data science in general is like, how do you, how do you isolate action or yeah. like cause and effect? And you kind of mentioned, uh, these like broad correlative studies, right? Um, like just see, do you see, I, cause I, I feel like, especially when, you know, speaking of Rovio, but eventually when you get to this scale and you're on so many touch points and so many channels, like I imagine a brand like Pepsi, they don't have a great idea of incrementality. I can't imagine. You know what I mean? Like they don't know how much their Super Bowl ad produces, do they? No, no, I, I doubt it. I mean, I, I, so I know that some of these CPG brands do bring like some sophistication to this. I mean, they're not just like throwing money, you know, at, at agencies. And, and a lot of times, they're, you know, they're leaning on the agencies and there's a lot of agencies that are really sophisticated. Um, the only problem, so the only problem with, with, with what they do though, is like, there's just even more noise because there's not a direct response, right? Like that's what makes right. VR kind of such an interesting field to work in is because you get that immediate response. Like, well, I know immediately if someone installed my app or not, or like, I could say like, you know, I know that if a user installed an app and it was from an ad, right. Then that's, that probably happened like pretty quickly. Like it, there wasn't like a long sort of like deliberation period on their part. Like, gosh, should I download this? Like, is it the right mm -hmm. kind of app that I want to right. download? I mean, it's free. It's nobody, free nobody thing. walks <laughs> around like they do when they're thinking about buying a new car. Like, hmm, should I download right. your birds? I don't know. Let me go take a walk on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's, there's no like comparison period. And there's no like, uh, you know, price shopping. Like, uh, you know, especially for you free just, apps, right? And it's just like, yeah, just download it or not. This, the switching cost is zero, right? And and the, the sort of like opportunity cost of of your time is pretty low, right? Download this app and play it for play it for ten seconds. So I, I think that's what that's what's so interesting about the mobile ecosystem is that immediacy. Um, it's that kind of lack of friction. You know, even though there's some there's some sort of frictional steps between seeing an ad and installing an app and spending money, but it, they're pretty they're pretty minimal, right? It's not it's like you said, yeah. it's not like buying a car. It's and they're getting tighter and tighter, right? People are building more and more that time to value into their apps. Like subscription yeah. paywalls are getting closer to the beginning. I'll, I'll, I think largely for the, the measurement effect, right? Is the, the closer yeah. that somebody converts, the faster you're going to be able to understand these channels. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, that was quite the rabbit hole. I do want to take a step back. <laughs> and, and, and this actually plays into exactly what you guys already were, were diving into. And that's your uh, Q&A site, Quantmar. And I, I love the name, Quantmar. And so I was just curious, like, I mean, obviously, even in this uh, preliminary part of our conversation, you talk like a quantitative analyst. So is, is, was that kind of your thinking of picking the name? And then what do you, what do you think about as far as like quantitative analysis in the context of mobile marketing and like, how does that all fit together? Well, I, I think it's, it's basically the core of, of it. Right. I mean, I think that's a tool set that you need to have to be good at it. Right. That's one thing like that started bugging me a while, like a couple years ago, was just like, there was this kind of explosion in um, demand for like UA practitioners, right? Like, you know, a UA, UA person, like we need to hire a UA person. And, and like that, that title 
just wasn't very evocative of what the job is, right? And and actually, like mm. the job was could look so different at so at at you know depending on what company you worked at, right? So like, uh, I just hated that. I hated that saying like I'm a UA manager or I run a UA team. It's just it didn't it didn't feel like it described what I did. Given that you know their UA manager might do something very you know have have a, just a very different sort of like day to day workflow. Um, my, my sense is that just to be really good at, at, and I, I, I kind of started moving away from even using the, the word, use, the, the, the phrase user acquisition towards just like performance marketing, right? Like my sense of like, is that being really good at performance marketing, it's like, is, is really understanding the measurement side of it, right? Because I think, um, you know, that's, that's really where, uh, the performance, the performance aspect of it is gleaned, right? Like just understanding how. How can I sort of attribute revenue and, and, and installs to a campaign and understand these sort of like underlying underlying sort of like yield um, sort of efficiency like that, that that is about the model. It's about the model that you build that uh, that kind of sort of manages that measurement process. So like just doing the button clicking around Facebook, you know, ads manager, that's not performance marketing, <laughs> right? Like yeah. that's 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 just like whatever. That's advertising uh, operations or something. Right. And like and then and then, you know, kind of in the last year, um, a lot, you know, the, the sort of the, the efficiency of all this stuff um, got absorbed into the, the platforms themselves. Right. So they started doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Um, but that's dangerous. You don't want the platforms doing your measurement. Right. Like that's actually not yeah. a good thing because they're always going to sort of privilege their own campaigns. Right. And they also just don't <laughs> good, have good news, Mr. Marketer. Your campaigns are going well. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's yeah. like a joke yeah. in the UA community that like Google's always going to tell you to spend more money. Like whatever yeah. question oh. you ask Google about improving your performance, yeah. it's like, oh, so, just spend more money. Yeah, I was going to say, we, we, yeah, we analyzed your campaign this week and it turns out a little bit more and I think we're going to get you to your goals. <laughs> it's such a, it's such a ripoff. It's like the, you know, it's like the quack medicine stuff too, right? It's like, oh, you just need one more treatment, right? Like, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but it, it, I mean, to, to some degree it's true, right? Because a lot of times, that it, it like kind of like paradoxically it can be it can be true that if your campaign's not performing well, if you increase the budget or you increase the bid and then increase the budget, it could. And I've seen that happen, right? Because a lot of things especially with Google, because Google sort of like um, bucketed all of their different channels under this sort of UAC product, right? And so you might get sort of stuck, right, on the sort of like lower tiers of uh, in terms of just like traffic value. Like one of the lower value sort of uh, traffic channels, right? You might be in Google Display Network. Right, and that's where all your ads are being funneled into because your bid's not high enough, and it's actually not like graduating uh, into the higher value. There are there are uh, like discrete breakpoints where you'll break into like better right. investments. Yeah, exactly. And then with the more budget, it just allows more experimentation in those different in, in those different buckets. So, so if you just increase your bid, but given some constrained budget, all the budget's going to go to the one that's that's gotten the majority of the budget to date because uh, because that's how these kind of optimization algorithms work. So if you increase the budget then it sort of it, it instantiates a sort of like experimentation cycle. And if you increase the bid, your bid's high enough, you can sort of start experimenting with the higher value uh, uh, channels, then you actually could increase your performance. But it is like, I mean, yes, that's, that's I, don't, I don't think most like account reps would articulate it that way. And I don't think most UA managers would interpret it that way. And so it is kind of like, and it is, you know, just sort of funny. It's like, oh, well, you're not performing well, like increase the budget, increase the bid. Well, it's like, okay, <laughs> at, 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 at some point you, you, you don't understand why that's, that could be the case, right? And and then also like, when do I know that that's definitely not the case? Like it's actually just not uh, a function of like, you know, the sort of like uh, constraint of my bid and my budget. 
but but yeah, you're right. I mean, that's like a funny. It's it's kind of like it's a it's a well known sort of trope that gets like trotted yeah. out. Like oh, just just increase your budget and increase bid. It's like a. I mean, they've created such complicated systems, right? That they almost need to like they can't expect every customer to have a quantitative marketer on their on their team or somebody who can do modeling, you know, at all, right? But so they it makes sense that they would have to build some like oh like here's how it's performing. Um, I don't, it makes me wonder like, what's the, like, what's the long tail of these platforms revenue that comes from just like under optimized spend. Like so many times I've gotten like for like mom and pop shops and things like that. We're just like totally yeah. off the marks, <laughs> like search terms and things like that. They're just like hoovering up. I mean, it take it brings in all kinds of questions. Like, you know, we, I mean, this can kind of go into like some of the IDFA stuff, but, but how, how the, the lack of IDFA is actually just pushing more power into these platforms and less visibility to the people actually placing the, uh, placing the buys, uh, for ads. But yeah, I, <laughs> I've, I've taken to every time I open the, uh, the Google analytics sheet, just like dismiss, 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 dismiss <laughs> of all those <laughs> yeah. suggestions. <laughs> these systems were designed to sort of alleviate that need, right, on the part of the on the part of the advertiser to not have to have this big team of data scientists like working on these models, like, hey, we'll do it for you. And to be honest, like, I mean, Google could do it better than any individual advertiser could, right? It's Google. And and anyway, just the fact that they're sort of like um, they're sort of like syndicating all that data across all these different advertisers, they just have more data than any single advertiser could, right? And that's a good thing, I think. Um, and, and I think it's not even a bad thing that they're sort of not that transparent about it. I mean, they could be more transparent about it. But the whole idea is that, like, look, if we're if we're transparent about it, then then you're just going to try to tell us what to do, right? Like we're telling you that, like, you know, we we know better what to do, and 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 you, the amount of money, that, and we're we're incentivized to do it really well because then you'll spend more money with us, right? So I don't think there's any sort of like perverse incentive there. Like if Google delivers good results to you, then you'll spend more money with them. The problem though is Google's only incentivized to deliver results that are just good enough, right? If you tell it, hey, I need to hit 110% ROAS on this budget they're going to optimize towards that, right? Like they're, they have no incentive to, to deliver to you 120%. Or to find new local, new, new maxima, right? They'll get caught in some local maximum and then just be like, oh, that's good enough. Yeah, exactly. Well, because, you know, because the, the, the fact of the matter is like they can spend your money. If they're delivering 120% ROAS to you, right? That's just less money that you're spending. Right now you could say, well, long-term, you're going you're gonna to increase your, your, your budget with them, maybe, but maybe not. Now in, in, the, in the short term, if they're delivering 120% to you, why not just uh, uh, redirect some of that budget to the sort of high output channels to the lower output channels, right? That are less competitive because mm. everyone's going to continue bidding for that, that inventory that's high output, right? Like that's, that's producing the high ROAS. Why not just take some of that budget and put it to the low output, like the y- low yield channels that are sort of like underutilized and get you to exactly where you said you wanted to be. And you can't complain. You said, my target's 110%, you delivered to me. And I have no idea. Because I don't have that right. visibility, I don't know if actually hey, you're actually allocating like twenty percent of my budget to this channel that's driving no uh, income to me. Why is that? Well, because I'm monetizing it. Otherwise, it would just uh, be <laughs> yeah. totally unusual. <laughs> right, right, right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how this actually affects your flywheel, or the, you know, the realities of your business, right? I mean, it kind of brings to like why quants exist in algorithmic trading, right? Like you're looking for an advantage because you're you're essentially bidding against other companies that are that are trying to more profitably profitably act. Uh, 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 you know, buy these this advert these advertising channels. So there is an advantage, right? You're like searching for who can model this better, who can find a better fit, right? Is that is that is that a correct way of thinking about it? Is in terms of the quant analogy goes? Yeah, well, that that's why I actually chose that um, that 
that phrase too, because I, I think like, you know, if you think about, you know, working at a company where you're spending, uh, I don't know, 5 million a month, right. Which is a lot of companies do that. That's not that rare, you know, then, then you're managing a pretty reasonably sized portfolio of money, right. Mm -hmm. If you think about the turnover there, it's high. Right. Uh, and so like, well, why shouldn't, uh, you know, I think it's just a matter of like the positioning, why, you know, why performance marketers and digital marketers aren't making as much money as like, I mean, yeah, you're, you're essentially looking for a return, right? So yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you're, similar. Man you're, you're managing that money. It, it is. It, it's different because the capital is moving, which like changes the game a little bit, right? It's not sitting capital. It's like being reinvested constantly, but. Right. Exactly. So if I spent 50 million in a year, I mean, presumably like, you know, some of that came back within the year and was reallocated. Right. So maybe, depending on the LTV timeline and the recoup timeline, maybe that was actually only like 30 million and just got used, you know, some of those dollars got used twice, but still regardless, like if I deployed 30 million in a year, that's not an intravial fund. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so like, why aren't, why aren't, you know, people that do performance marketing paid the same as people that are, you know, uh, just that are running, that are running, uh, uh portfolios at hedge funds. Right. I, mean, it's just I will advocate for that as a company that doesn't employ any performance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I agree. <laughs> I mean, to, to be fair, the, the scale is different, right? I mean, there's, right. Know, even, even a 10, even if, even if you 10 X that, I mean, a $300 million fund is not that big. Um, but still I had, my point was like, I don't think it's okay to think about the problem is the, the, the sort of that perf performance marketing role, I think got, got sort of, um, defined by the sort of least technical people in that like broadly, right? I think that the, the sort of the idea of the the qualifications of and you know therefore the compensation of that role got defined by like the lowest common denominator, which was the button pusher, right? The person who has a spreadsheet, mm -hmm. they've got two monitors open. They've got on the left hand it's a spreadsheet which is, says, hey, I should bid this much on this campaign, and on the right hand it's Facebook ads manager and saying, okay, here's the box, and I'm just going to push my push my mouse on there, I'm going to backspace and I'm going to update it with what this thing says. And there you go. Like that's user acquisition, right? That's why I don't like these, the term user acquisition. Um, and I thought like maybe reframing it was just better uh, in general for, for the field, right? Because I'm just kind of thinking about this, like, you know, from taking a long-term view on it, like you want to attract the best people to it. You want people to sort of uh, feel like the qualifications are, you know, are, are pretty uh, uh, sort of, August, right? Like they're pretty impressive. Um, and you want to feel like, you know, hey, the value add is very high. And so like it starts with just the name, right? The naming conventions. Don't call it like UA manager or Facebook advertiser. Call it quant quantitative marketer. And that, you know, that just changes the perception. I mean, my, the same thing might happen that happened with data science as a rule in the last like five years where it went from, you know, your business analyst or something like this to somebody who just yeah. Tableau and now became this very attractive field, right? Yeah. And we're so early yeah. in this, right? You're talking about five years ago at Rovio being very, you know, that was a long time ago. It was five years. It's not that long ago, yeah, right? Yeah. So, so I, I have a feeling that, uh, yeah, if I were to bet, I think you're, I think you're, you know, pushing the branding in the right direction. Yeah. That's all my, my, my contribution. <laughs> <laughs> so we're already like 20 minutes into this and haven't even really gotten into the meat of what I wanted to talk to you about. So let's, uh, let's jump to the future. Um, so, uh, you know, we've hashed and rehashed 
the IDFA changes and everything that's going on there. So we're not going to, you know, if, if, if you're not familiar with this and you're listening to this podcast, you might be listening to the wrong podcast, but go read blog posts and other things about Apple's privacy changes. So we're not going to rehash that, but but what I want to hear from, from your perspective, especially taking this more quantitative approach to performance marketing, is like, what do you, what do you see these next? So, so step one step back, Apple did just last week uh, push off these changes at, uh, we think, like six months-ish. They said early next year. So, so from today in September uh, 2020, we likely have six months-ish until Apple does enact these rules. And then once they're enacted, you know, things are going to take months to shake out and really understand, you know, how, how things are going to go. So I would love to hear from you your thoughts on kind of what the next six months look like, kind of building up the tooling that's going to be effective in this new paradigm and then kind of what your long-term view of, of mobile marketing is in this new uh, privacy-friendly paradigm that Apple has uh, ushered in by edict. Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, there was always going to be like a three-stage rollout to of the kind of post-IDFA uh, infrastructure and strategy, right? So like I kind of, the metaphor I use for this is like, it's a, it's a tornado just just obliterating your house, right? Like you've built this house and you enjoy living there. Uh, you know, probably that like, hey, I live in Tornado Alley. It's only a matter of time. Right? <laughs> I should have built it on Google or uh, Apple Street. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, but but hey, it's you got comfortable there. And so you never really felt super motivated to, I don't know, to protect yourself uh, or move. I don't know. The metaphor doesn't extend that far. But anyway, so you, you got this house, this nice house. And a tornado comes and it just obliterates your house. I mean, it totally, or let's say it's, you see it barreling down the, the cornfield and uh, you know, it's going to obliterate your house. Right. So, well, step one is, you know, is, is, uh, is you find a tent, like you need something to live in to, to, to shelter you like kind of post obliteration, right. You just need something that's sort of functional and, and keeps you dry. Um, and so, you know, you find a tent and then, and then, you know, you, you know, in, in order to sort of build on that, um, you know, in, in a way that's kind of like, incremental um and, and sort of additive but but you're not you know you're is, is also functional you know because at the same time like you're gonna have to you, you get the tent so you got the house you get the shelter right you're, you're able to shelter and you're able to keep the rain off of you or whatever what does that mean in this context right that means well i've got um connectivity right to my to, to um to to apple via the skad network uh, functionality right so i've instrumented the SKAD network uh, functionality in my app. I've got the ATT set up, and I've, if I'm if I choose to do that, and I've got um, the update conversion value being fired, right? In whichever way I'm I'm choosing to do that, either I'm choosing to go with the MMP solution, which is to just upgrade their SDKs in my app and have them do that, um, or I'm doing that myself. But probably in this like the tense version of that, the sort of just pure shelter version of that, is I'm taking all of the existing events that I already have in my app, and I'm just instrumenting the update conversion value with that, right? I'm not building new events. I can't, I don't have time. Like this was September 15th. I didn't have time to do any of that. I'm just sort of instrumenting update conversion value with the existing events. And I'm using those as a basis for like predicting kind of uh, LTV, right? So that's the kind of tent version. Now, now I, I have a dream house that, that I, I want to start designing, but while I'm living in my tent, it's actually really hard to sort of like build my dream house, um, right? So like what I'm going to do is I'm going to sort of like upgrade the tent. And I'm going to, you know, maybe it'll turn into a shack. You know, I'll put some tin roofing on top of it or something. And I'll install, uh, you know, uh, a flush toilet or something. 
and the, 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 so that 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 um, sort of manifests in the kind of uh, IDFA um, kind of environment as like, well, I'm not just using the existing events that I already had instrumented in my app and firing update conversion on those, but actually what I'm doing is I'm thinking about, okay, well, how does someone sort of uh, evoke their LTV to me? It's not it's not on any given event, but it's actually like chains of events, right? So like I had this yeah. workshop that I was giving um, and I was talking about this in the workshop. It's like, hey, I did this and I did this and I did this. And that's different than if I just did this, but I didn't do that second thing and then I did this. But that, that's different than if I just did this one thing and not the other two, right? There's all these different combinations of things that you could do and figuring out like which of those combinations uh, is really is is really sort of like uh, indicative of of actual value and and figuring out what the values are for those right so that's the kind of shack version of that that's like I've got running water and I, I sleep on a bed and not the floor but this isn't my dream house like and then all all the while I'm sort of designing my dream house and I'm specking it out and the dream house is like the long the long sort of term state that we're moving to the the thing that everyone was always too too comfortable to build right which was moving completely away from deterministic measurement and building a sort of non-deterministic measurement paradigm that actually is even better than the deterministic, right? Because I'm, I'm leaning completely on the sort of in-product uh, filtering system, in-product classification system that before I was just outsourcing to Facebook and Google, right? So like what Facebook and Google got really, really good at over the last few years was sort of uh, routing the, the people to your app that would monetize at the highest possible degree, right? To the highest possible degree. Like the people that would monetize the absolute best, they got really good at routing them to you. And what and they did that on the basis of receiving every single event from within your app and from within other people's apps, just mm -hmm. ingesting all that data and classifying these users on those on that basis, putting them into these these subgroups, like basically taking all the monetizers and all the engagers and breaking them up into subgroups on the basis of like shared characteristics and then testing your testing different uh, ad creatives of yours against those subgroups to optimize the ad spend and then sending you this like pre-vetted, pre-qualified uh, group of people. Now that's really great, but that doesn't scale beyond what it is, right? The Facebook and Google are going to send you the amount of people they're going to send you and you can't really scale it beyond that. You can just sort of try to build your monetization in such a way that just extracts more money from them, right? That was ad optimization. Mm. Well, now you can't do that. So what you're forced to do is to actually take the harder you know, approach, but potentially more rewarding, which is take this big, diverse group of people that Facebook and Google are going to be sending you, try to classify them yourselves and try to give everybody, every single one of those people, what they want, like with, you know, with some potential um, degree of monetization attached to, to, that, to that level of, of, of receptiveness. And so if you do that, then you have probably more of an opportunity than if you just depend entirely on Facebook filtering out monetizer, filtering uh, out uh, non-monetizers and sending you just that that highly highly targeted group of people right i think the opportunity here is bigger but it, more work is sort of incumbent on the advertiser and it all all that filtering is going to happen now at the content layer whereas before it happened at the ad platform layer so when you say when you say probabilistic measurement you're you're you know when, when apple google is now sending you a uh, a much less targeted, much less like, you know, like you said, not just these monetizers, but like a, a larger group. I mean, so, so now in the world is you get an ID, the IDFA, and you can measure exactly how much that person spends. You know, we can, Revenue Cat can also send that to attach values to that offline as well. Um, and now like with update conversion value, and I, I think that the biggest thing is update conversion value is a one shot. You can't get, you can't keep updating it, right? You can't keep measuring it. Like, 
what like i guess i'm having a hard time is like visualizing like what what do you actually have like what do you actually you have this like broad unclassified group of users like what do you actually know when you're saying probabilistic you're saying like oh this is like the ltv distribution is that what is that what is that what you're trying to arrive at and then informing that back to the the advertisers or or what what are they like on the ground like what are the actual like steps you're taking to move towards probabilistic world so you're exactly right so that's the kind of irony of this is that like you know kind of 2016, you know, Facebook introduced ADO. 2017, they introduced VO. 2016, Google went black box with UAC. So, like, all this, all that did was it, it was to, to sort of out, allow advertisers to outsource all that work. But, uh, you know, it, the work being like the manual button pushing and the changing the bids and all that kind of stuff. But what then advertisers had to do um, in order to optimize those campaigns was to like, uh, actually move deep into the funnel of the the sort of the the app experience and to find those events that were the best sort of indicators of 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 ultimate value for that user and to send those back and say hey hey google here's here's finding more people that do this right because uh, this is what and then try to move as, as as early up the user experience as possible so that the turnaround time on that was really quick well this is just an amplified exercise in that because before you know you well you really had like one event with AEO you had one event right this is what I'm optimizing for right mm. but now you know it's just it's just a more extreme version of that because well you, yeah you, you really only have one event you only have one event that you can even pick from right and also that like you have to kind of construct that in such a way that like um, you know it can't be that that single event right because if, if it's just that single event well then people like kind of go through the experience and the, and they trigger that event and then they trigger something later that has a higher conversion value that you've attached to it, you won't actually know. So you've got to treat, you have, you have to construct the experience as such that any time you see a conversion value that you sort of know that the cascade of lower conversion values is implied, right? And mm -hmm. then you have to sort of optimize for that one thing in a way that like it sort of either happens or doesn't. And if it doesn't happen, that sends a signal of like very low value, right? So that, the idea here is that like all of that work that, like UA teams were basically becoming like analytics teams anyway, because mm -hmm. all the button pushing was absorbed into the, the, to the Facebook and the Google platforms. Well, now that's just becoming an even more extreme version of that because you only get that one conversion. All the value that you want to capture has to be distilled into that one conversion value. And so like, not only is it a, a, an exercise in analytics, but it's an exercise in product design. And these two things are coming together in such a way that like the UA team really is, they have uh, like sort of strong influence on the product design, especially in the early stage. And they're basically doing like this sort of kind of, uh, you know, analytical exercise and determining like, well, how can I not only not only can I how can I measure the value of this uh, chain of events, but how can I construct the chain of events such that it, it, it signals a lot of value. Right. So how can I put the user on a path? And then and then I think like the biggest kind of skill upgrade going into this like post IDFA area era is like the personalization. Right. So how can I in real time change the product based on how the user's interacting with it? to sort of um, put them on a path that gives them the opportunity to, to sort of engage to, to whatever degree they want, right? So like mm -hmm. not, not, not have that singular product experience, but actually have this product experience that sort of like changes with their interaction that gives them more of what they want, right? And unlocks that value for them as I see that, oh, well, they, they want this, so let me give them that. Right, since you're no longer just targeting this one, this one profile of like high spenders, right? Uh, I, no, I no longer have to have one product experience that um, that is used to find one niche group of audience. I can have all the product experiences because I'm getting all the audiences, right? So I should. Yeah. The, the, the thing you hit on there is something David and I have talked about a lot, which is this uh, notion that 
like I can't help but think that this this peculiar behavior, I'll, I'll describe it as peculiar uh, for the update conversion value in SK Ad Network is going to feed back into the shape of the way. I mean, it's one of those things where like, you're like, you go to a city and like, why is it shaped this way? And you're like, oh, because there used to be a river here, right? Or something like this. There's like, there's like cascading effects that are going to change how, especially, I mean, not all apps, but apps that are, are built on monetization or uh, user acquisition are going to have to build around basically this, this SD, this API, which I don't think was super fully thought out. Right. And so, and I, these are the externalities that Apple doesn't consider. I'm not sure that they're, they realize the like amount of, of, of like leverage and data analysis and, and all of the work that's going into making apps monetize. Well, I think Apple's just like, well, they'll just let them set a value and it'll be fine. And it's like, no, I, like yeah. people are going to go nuts. It's, it's a competitive market and people are going to try to find advantages, right? This is something I think Apple has failed at since the very beginning of the app store is understanding the way they're individual, seemingly small decisions end up shaping the entire market. It's like when, yeah. when Apple was, um, I mean, from the very beginning, we had the top charts and the top charts were totally based on volume. There was no concept of, of grossing or whatever. And so when an app went on sale, it doubled, tripled, quadrupled the number of units. So that pushed it up in the charts. And when you got high in the charts, that got you exposure so you could get attention just by dropping your price and going on sale. Oh, and then dumping a bunch in UA too, right? Like just like doing everything you could just to try to break into that top 10 and then, and then, you know. And then it's like self-sustaining because you're yeah. high in the yeah. charts. It gives like, it gives um, um, social. All because of one tab <laughs> in the app store. One right? tab on the app store. Yeah. And like, and there's been so many things along the line that I, I that Apple has done that shaped the entire app store market that 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 they don't seem to have a clear grasp on how much it's actually shaping things and this is like that next level example it's like now we have SKAD network we have one conversion value you can't update it in the background you can only do it once it has these weird timers and like there's so much going on and like now for the next five years or i mean we'll see if they make changes but i think jacob's exactly right it's like the the entire market for apps is going to reshape around the the shape of SK Ad Network versus it having been shaped around the existing tools. So I think that's going to be really fascinating to see that play out. So Eric, do you have? Are you gonna do you prognosticate about Apple's strategy here? Do you think they're playing ten dimensional chess by like trying <laughs> to like see how the the industry would react? Or you don't have to reveal your sources, obviously, but. But I, 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 I'm halfway between they did this on purpose to try and kind of get people to move, which is fine, whatever. And then half of me thinks like they, they realized halfway through like, oh, we stepped in it. <laughs> like this is, this is probably a bigger thing than we expected. Yeah, I think they just, they don't appreciate the complexity of the app store dynamics, right? It's like you said, I mean, it's, it's there's billions and billions of dollars being generated in the app store. It's just a tiny little market. And so people people put in the effort to find ways to, to game to, to maximum advantage, you know, any any point of leverage that Apple gives them, right? And so now people are pouring over the SK network uh, documentation, just find, trying to find ways of like, well, um, you know, how, how can I best use the conversion value? And you're right, like it will shape the design of apps. Like it's gonna, it's gonna be a totally new design paradigm, right? Cause you're trying to get that high value conversion value to trigger early. And you're trying to map that to something that happens really early. So you're just going to sort of concentrate a lot of monetization really early on 
Um, which I don't know if, I mean, that, it, you know, that's, it's going to be, it could be jarring, right. But it's just, it's going to be the only way you can really kind of scale growth, right. Is, is getting that signal as, as fast as possible um, and getting it as clearly as possible. Right. So I, I don't know in terms, uh, but I, I think like the, the so my, my sense of the, the motivation for this is like, they don't really, they don't appreciate how like uh, complex the ad, the sort of um, the performance marketing ecosystem is on mobile. They didn't really fully comprehend, um, you know, how, how, uh, how sort of uh, how frail it is. Right. Like if you remove this piece, like it's not, we're not just <laughs> able to sort of like adapt around it. Right. Like right. you break it, you, you, you break it, you buy it. Like you should have to replace it. Right. With something yeah. that's, that's, that's workable. Now, SK Network, I think, I, you know, Tapple's credit, I think SK Network provides a lot. Now there, of course, you know, it's not as, as complete. If I'm, if I'm operating by the same paradigm as I've been operating today, yeah, it's not, it's not complete. I can't do device level attribution with it, but that was the whole point. I think the yeah. whole point is now, okay, we have to shift. We have to shift uh, our approach to this sort of like data science centric um, thing where we're actually doing more instrumentation in the app. We have that one moment. And so let's get everything we can out of that one moment. They basically just detonated a bomb. Uh, and I don't <laughs> think they were ready to have to deal with the sort of fallout. Um, but I think my sense, my sense is the motivation for this was it was more at the at the sort of broader uh, tech ecosystem layer, right? So I want to hurt Facebook, you know. I, I want to sort of uh, take back more control over app store distribution, right? I don't want ads being what determines which apps are popular. I want to be the person that determines which apps are popular. And you see that with the fight with Epic, with the fight with Hey, they want to have total absolute control over the content in the app store, and like this is just them. Um, kind of pushing further along on that path, right? Mm -hmm. I, what I don't understand is, okay, fine. We're going to let Apple federate all the tracking, right? So Apple has individual identification on these users. Of course they do. And and, and we're just all going to go like, fine, let's let Apple do that. They're, they're trusted. Consumers trust them. Developers, we don't have a choice. And so be it. What I don't understand with specifically with update conversion value is like, let us just send high resolution data to you. You can clean yep. that scramble it you can do whatever you want to anonymize that don't give us any promise that you're gonna like pass that straight through to networks um but like let us have at least like the resolution and and, and so much as so that like like going to before we don't have these you don't have these wow every funnel looks like it's being trying trying to be stuffed into a seven bit number or whatever yeah right <laughs> uh just for that so i don't know my my hope is that maybe they've been listening they're probably listening to this podcast hello apple uh, but, but they'll, they'll take some of this. Cause I, I do think that there are, there's, I mean, we, we've written much as much about this, but there, there's some really good benefits to this system. And, and, and I don't think anybody's opposed to it in principle, but, but yeah, I just get really scared. Cause like, ultimately if they get it wrong, we're going to see apps moving in a direction that just is for them to extract the most value across the ecosystem and not necessarily provide great experiences for each user. Right. And I think lower resolution tracking in this sense actually can lead to that. So I don't know, that's my hope, but, but we'll see, we'll see if they, if they, I'm guessing they're going to time it with their release in March would be my guess, but just, just on timing. I mean, I'm planning for this to happen January. I mean, I feel like that's, I think you, you've got to stay as disciplined with your sort of response plan as you were pre-announced, pre-delay. Right. I think it is, I, I, cause I think what a lot of teams are going to do is going to relax and then, <laughs> you know, and then it's like, Oh shit, it's in January. Well, like, well, you know, we just had Christmas, blah, blah, blah. Like we're not ready. We're not ready. And I don't think Apple gives a second reprieve here. It's there's no second stay of execution. It's, 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 there's going to be zero sympathy. I think the second time. 
Uh, but I think, you know, you're just going to see a lot of teams that just didn't get anything accomplished between now and, and whenever um, the announcement is. But I think, like, you know, the problem with the conversion path thing is, like, okay, so if we move, we move into this system where everybody moves to the middle, everybody, we're, not, we're no longer doing, like, this really broad spectrum of different types of apps that are designed for, like, a single kind of a niche audience um, and that monetizes them really well because, hey, this niche audience wants this specific use case, and so they're, they're willing to pay a lot for it. Uh, because that's just what they want. But uh, but rather, we we built these sort of like containers that could be any kind of experience that, you know, we, we dream up for these big, broad audiences. That that could move you in a dark place because you start talking about like hardcore, like extreme price discrimination. Um, you know, you start trying to you start trying to like dynamically adjust everything to try to like uh, push people onto the paths that best best kind of like express their intent to monetize. And, you know, you, you get like these monster, like kind of, uh, uh, you know, just these Frankenstein's monsters apps that like have kind of, um, a, you know, it, 10 different people could end up playing 10 different games or 10 different people can end up experiencing 10 different experiences. <laughs> and you, you're building, you're building specific systems just to try to get people to monetize as much as possible, almost like a casino. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that that can move, that can move, that can move things in a dark direction. Uh, you know, because once again, like it's it's like you said, it's like well, people are adapting. There's like the sort of first order, the first order adaptation, and then there's all the ways that that ad- adaptation evolves down the line and affects users. Lots of users who never saw an ad, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everybody. Yeah. But but if we think about like, well, hey, I got to personalize because I have SK Ad Network, and so I implement some personalization, and then I just over time improve and improve and improve and improve that, and then it turns into the system where you, hey, I've got a system that. Um, you know, I know I can extract a thousand dollars from a player in the first 30 minutes, right? Because I, I've, I've sort of tuned it, you know, to sort of respond to this, you know, to respond to their sort of behavior in such a way that it's like super efficient at it, right? And that, that is yeah. that like, well, that's almost like an unimaginable consequence of this. But if you think about like, well, that's what's going to happen. If you start, if you start telling, if you start motivating devs to start focusing on hardcore personalization, that's exactly what's going to, you're going to end up with. You're going to end up with these systems after a couple of years, right? The first response is just like, hey, do you want the $8 starter pack or do you want the $2 starter pack, right? That, that feels pretty benign. But like the sort of mutated kind of evolved version of that is like, hey, someone, I, like I, I've got someone coming in the game and I've got a system design that can monetize them to $1,000 within 20 minutes, right? Like that's, that's, that's where this heads. And they're not just, yeah. they're not the people that are like the most obsessed with this type of game, right? Like, so I think that's kind of, you know, there are games that do that, but you say like, well, it's a niche audience. These are people, these are like the, the, the hundred thousand people in the world that like these kind of games and we're finally bringing it to them. And they, they've always wanted, uh, like, that's different. That's a little bit different than when you say, hey, we built this big, big broad tent and we welcome anyone in. And then we just sort of like separate people on the basis of something that they don't even really know about themselves, potentially. Wow. The tools that you utilize to get to that point um, are not just product features they're like psychological features right wow well we've gone way over on time (laughs) (laughs) to end it on that cheery that cheery dystopian note about the feature of the app store (laughs) yeah so i was gonna say so we've got four minutes let's do one more quick hit give me a 90 second answer so we can end on something at least a little more interesting and positive hopefully Um, one of my biggest concerns, and this is going to be hard to answer in 90 seconds, but you can do it, Eric. Um, one of my biggest concerns with this shift to SK ad network is that smaller apps are going to be disadvantaged. So if you're spending, you know, 10 K a month and trying to grow your app, 
where do you, where do you see things going from, uh, for the smaller apps versus like, you know, a million dollars a month, a huge company who's already, you know, calmer headspace. It's got a big team and can spend the money to experiment. Where do you see this going for smaller apps and being able to do the incrementality measurement and probabilistic and all that kind of stuff? Well, I think that the incrementality stuff, I mean, again, I don't think it, it becomes super relevant at, at, at a super low level of scale, right? Because you're not, you're not trying to discern between which ad provided the value or how much value did each ad provide because you're not showing people four or five ads a day, right? You're, just, you're not spending that much. I don't know. I, I, I think the, the, my worry is that with smaller advertisers, you know, you're going to get caught in this, in this privacy threshold trap where you have to have a certain number of conversion values that get sent before Apple starts reporting them. You have to have a certain number of installs from a campaign before Apple starts reporting them. And so you get, you know, if you're diversifying your traffic too much, which a lot of companies do, if they're spending like 100K a month, they're still using like a decent number of networks. They just won't get any data back. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, geez, that wasn't the uh, positive <laughs> note I was hoping to end on. But uh, we'll see how this all plays out. And the great thing is, I mean, you know, it, it is, it, it's an economy and economies adjust. And Apple has a lot of, levers that they can pull between now and the announcement to improve things. And then once it's released, there's a lot of levers that they can pull to make adjustments over time. And I think them delaying the changes is actually at least a positive sign that they're paying attention and want to get this right. So, uh, so maybe that's our positive <laughs> note <laughs> is that as dire as some benevolent monopoly, uh, uh, yeah, as, as, uh, as dire as some things seem, I do think Apple's paying attention. And, and I think that, you know, there's levers for them to pull to, to keep improving things over time. Uh, but yeah, I think we need to wrap up, uh, Eric real quick, where can people find you and anything last minute you want to, uh, share? Yeah. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Eric under, underscore super. Um, find, find me on the web at mobiledevmemo.com. Um, just today I announced the mobile dev memo investment syndicate. Uh, so launching kind of a syndicate out of the community, uh, should Very hopefully cool. be some cool, cool investments that we're announcing pretty soon. Um, yeah. And that's it. That's, that's, uh, that's where I can be found. Uh, thanks so much, Eric. It was great having you on. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Cheers. Thank you. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show and your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.